Welcome to Distrust and Disparities, Dismantling Black Health Disparities podcast. We examine health disparities that disproportionately affect Black women and Black families. In addition, we amplify organizations and individuals working to dismantle racist health practices and systems to improve health outcomes for marginalized communities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Camille White. We discuss suicide, suicidal ideations, depression, and other triggering mental health illnesses in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we discuss two cases of suicide within our community and how depression goes underdiagnosed and undertreated in Black women. And we provide resources for seeking treatment with culturally competent mental health professionals. Welcome back to another episode of Distrust and Disparities. We wanted to say a happy belated Mother's Day and also a happy belated Nurses Week and also Teacher Appreciation Week. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be a week behind, but we need to celebrate and uplift nurses and teachers every day. Those are two very stressful professions. And since COVID, burnout rates for both teachers and nurses have been through the roof. A number of professionals are just leaving the profession altogether and looking for something else to do. So I commend everyone that is, you know, passionate about being a nurse and working in healthcare and also for teachers, for teaching and inspiring the next generation. We need more than a week. We need pay raises. We need adequate staffing and everything for all of us. And it is still Mental Health Awareness Month. And we want to continue to amplify issues concerning mental health. This week, we want to talk about depression and suicide and how the warning signs may present different in Black women. These conversations may be difficult and uncomfortable, but we need to discuss these issues. We may be able to help someone in our lives that may be suffering in silence or be able to connect someone with some resources. And in the past couple of years, there has been a few high profile suicides in recent years. The most recent that comes to mind is DJ Twitch from The Ellen Show. When that happened, there was a collective grieving on social media, on the news outlets. Everyone was shocked and just didn't really know how to process their emotions. What made me want to do this episode and talk about this topic, uh, there was a recent death that didn't receive as much media attention, but I wanted to bring it here and discuss it here on the podcast. So, We're going to segue right into our main segment right now. Have you checked out our website? There you can find all of our episodes and show notes. You can even listen directly on the site and catch up on any previous episode you may have missed. You can read our bios and see what we're up to. Also, we made it even easier to contact us. Just fill out the form on our homepage and click submit. We invite you to recommend guests and topics we should feature. So what are you waiting for? Go check us out at distrustanddisparities.com. 
Last month on April 11th, a North Carolina mother who was a nurse was found dead among her three children inside a Winston-Salem home. And the nurse's name is Ethel Steele. She was 40 years old at the time, and she had three kids under the age of 15. And according to the Winston-Salem Police Department, reports state that Ethel fatally shot all three of her children before turning the gun on herself. Such a heartbreaking situation. And her family described her as beautiful, well-educated, a loving mother, and a loving sister and daughter. And Ethel's aunt, Wanda Canton, she told news outlets she believes her niece was innocent it was not something that she would have done, is what she is quoted as saying. I want to point out that Ethel was a single mother and nurse. She also homeschooled all three of her children. And from the reports I read, she was also um, she was working as a travel nurse. So you're a nurse and a teacher. So you're you're doing a lot. And a quote says she cared for her family and her patients from the bottom of her heart. And this was not representative of the Ethel we know, her friends know, or her teachers know. Like I said, this took place last month. So this is all the information I have about this situation. But what we do know is that suicide rates are climbing amongst nurses and also amongst the black community and especially amongst like nurses and some of these stressful careers a lot of it has to do with burnout a lot of people don't know how to reconcile with what happened and then the person you knew cuz a lot of times you don't you don't see people in all facets of their life and you don't know mentally what they're battling with but and it was the same situation with uh, the DJ Twitch, where from the outside, everyone is seeing like, oh, he has a successful career. He's on TV. He has a whole family. Like, you know, what would be going on that he would end up in a situation where mentally he just had such hopelessness that he couldn't continue on. And that's a big part of the problem, too, where we don't discuss it enough or we don't check on, you know, the people who seem like everything is fine and everything is okay. It's this assumption that, well, oh, everything looks okay. But, you know, especially with the nurse, like she's homeschooling three children and also working like a full-time, like very stressful job. I like, I can't imagine how she was navigating all of that, but it's, you know, I'm sure more information will come out, but I can understand being like a loved one, a family member, just like, it's hard to accept. It's hard to accept death, especially when it is sudden and mm-hmm. it it might seem senseless at times if it's, you know, a criminal activity that resulted in a death, but like definitely suicide. We just, we don't talk about it enough in society and therefore we don't have a better understanding. And for some people, there's not enough empathy of what people have going on Mm -hmm. because 
a lot of times, even depending on your background culturally, it's like, you know, we didn't been through so much. Like you need to figure it out. You need to get yourself together. Like you can't just let this be what takes you out. But it's just like mental health is so important. And we constantly yeah. talk about that all the time. But like mental health is a big part of your health. If you're not mentally healthy, like you just, you can't function properly. You can't live a happy life. And I think social media can do a disservice to a lot of us because people see that as like, oh, look what everyone has going on. And generally, most people put on social media the best moments of their lives, the things they want to celebrate. Very polished, filtered images, Mm -hmm. videos of themselves very rarely. And I'm seeing it more and more even like this morning. I saw something of people being very open and honest and real about like, I struggle. And like today I struggled. They're showing it. And like, we need more of that because too many times people are thinking like, oh, that just must be their everyday life. Every day for them is like pretty much perfect because I never see the downside when it's just like, no one's life is perfect. No one's life is ever perfect. It like, it just literally isn't no matter what your situation is. Now, granted, you might have resources in you know, financial stability to help you navigate it better. You might have maybe a better support system than others to help you navigate the challenges better, but no one's life is perfect. Like not at all. Nope. And, you know, when I heard about this story, you know, I just wanted to, you know, check in on my friends, also just checking on myself. Like, how am I doing? Because, you put so many things on your plate thinking that you can do it all and you see other people doing it, but you don't know what help, what resources they have. And sometimes you just need like a break from like social media. Cause like you said, we are just shown like this perfect package image. You're just comparing yourself to something that's so unrealistic. So you really need to, you know, just check in with yourself. Like, how am I feeling? Yes. I want to do a lot, but can I really, you know, sustain this? Like, is this sustainable? And after hearing about the nurse's story last month, it reminded me of Miss USA, Chesley Chris. And this was another high profile death that really shocked the Black community and the world as a whole. Chesley Chris died at the age of 30 after falling from an elevated position from a building in New York City's Hell's Kitchen area in January 2022. And it was ruled a suicide by New York City's chief medical examiner. And Chesley Chris, she was not just a beauty queen. She was an attorney who worked for a firm based in Charlotte, North Carolina. She practiced complex civil litigation. Also, she worked pro bono, which means for free, with the Buried Alive Project, um, which assisted in freeing clients sentenced to life imprisonment. Additionally, she was also a correspondent for the entertainment news program Extra, and she was crowned Miss USA in 2019. In preparing for beauty pageants. That's a lot of work. She's doing a lot of things. 
an attorney one, like already that's, that's a whole career, but then she's doing pro bono work and she's an entertainment news correspondent. Like that's being, you know, makeup ready live on like red carpets, a number of things where you're just always in front of a camera again to like, with her death is a situation of like, she literally was just Miss USA not that long ago. And like, you know, what, what was going on in her world, in her mind that would like lead her to that point. Mm -hmm. And what comes to mind with being Miss USA is just being, you always have to be on, like you always have to be smiling, pleasant Mm -hmm. and like approachable. Mm -hmm. And just imagine like, feeling that way like all the time and then you're also working for uh, entertainment news so you also have to be on for that being a lawyer preparing for cases and things like that that takes a lot of research a lot of time so this is a very stressful things that she is dealing with and managing and her mom april simpkins She was very brave after the death of her daughter, and she wanted to spread awareness about her daughter's condition. And she stated that her daughter was living a public and private life. And in her personal life, she was dealing with high-functioning depression, which she hid from everyone, including her own mother, which she was considered, you know, one of her closest confidants until before her death. And her mother even opened up and shared that um, Chesley, she attempted suicide in her early 20s. And after that first suicide attempt, they grew really close afterwards. And she said um, Chesley started counseling. She was getting better sleep. And, you know, she would be seen smiling on her social media accounts. But According to her mom, the smiling and the willingness to listen to others' issues exemplified Chesley's ability to deflect from opening up about her own depression. And on the day of her death, Chesley sent a text to her mom saying, I'm sorry, but by the time you get this, I won't be alive anymore. And it makes me so sad to write this because I know it will hurt you the most. I cannot bear the crushing weight of persistent sadness, hopelessness, and loneliness any longer. I've never told you these feelings because I've never wanted you to worry and because I hope that they would eventually change, but I know they never will. They follow me through every accomplishment, success, family gathering, friendly dinner, and I cry almost every day now, like I'm mourning. I've wished for death for years. Uh, It's so heartbreaking. She clearly just had so much going on and she was just, she was miserable. Like for her living, existing in this world was just miserable and which I can't imagine too how heartbreaking that is for her mother, but it's also 
so great, though, that she's, like you said, has been brave enough and had the courage to discuss it, to talk about it, to bring awareness to it and let other people know, like, this is what my daughter was going through. You know, Miss USA. She was literally former Miss USA. And this is what she was dealing with. Yeah. And on the outside, you know, her life looked perfect. You know, she had everything, the law degree, the entertainment career. She won Miss USA. From the outside, you think she has everything going. But on the inside, she just feels persistent sadness, hopelessness and loneliness. And it's just how many other people are just having this feeling but still going on and you know just trying to distract themselves with their work with the things that are going on and you know you want to reach out for help but you also don't want to be a burden as well so it's just like it's just so sad and after her mom got the message her mom even said she couldn't even read the whole message and she said she and her husband boarded a plane from South Carolina to New York but unfortunately before the plane even took off the NYC police called and confirmed Chesley's death is what her mom said yeah and a lot of times too you don't even get last words Mm -hmm. for people you don't you don't get, you know, a suicide note. Cause a lot of times too, I think people will maybe dismiss what might clearly be a suicide because there isn't a note. There's no explanation when some people are able to provide some insight into what was going on with them before they committed suicide and others aren't. And you know, maybe if you're close to someone, you feel the need to go back and reevaluate like your interactions with them and the last times that you talked to them. But sometimes it's like it's hidden. It's it's hidden. Mm-hmm. And some people are very good at hiding it better than others. And it's always a thing, too, I know of seeing more and more is like definitely check in more on the people who always say that they're fine and they're good, mm-hmm. because those are the people you really got to worry about over maybe sometimes to people who are very vocal and let you know everything and tell you every little detail that they got going on because they're clearly able to discuss it. They're clearly able to talk about it. Not saying that they're not suffering too, but like they are slightly better where they're able to allow others in and allow others to know like, hey, I'm not okay right now. But the Mm -hmm. ones who like, you never hear anything, it's always seems like, oh, they're doing, they're doing perfectly fine. Basically, it's just like, you really got to check on those people because you never know. And those are usually the situations when people are just like, I had no idea. This is like completely shocking. And you just, you had no clue and it's because they've been holding it all in and they've been struggling and suffering alone. We just wanted to pause right here and just, just give you like a few tips. If you are dealing with somebody who's depressed or they're showing signs or they, if somebody confides in you that they're thinking about hurting themselves or hurting others. So if you know someone that's in immediate risk of like self-harm, suicide, or hurting someone else, first you want to ask them the tough question. Are you considering suicide? 
just point blankly just ask them, are you considering suicide? And you just want to listen to that person without judgment. This is not your time to, you know, tell them, no, don't do this. Don't do this. And, you know, yell at them. Then you want to immediately call 911 or the local emergency number. And you can also text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to communicate with a trained crisis counselor. And that's the crisis text line. And also stay with the person until professional help arrives. Additionally, you want to try to remove any weapons, medication, or other potentially harmful objects within reach of the individual. If you or someone who you know is having thoughts of suicide, a prevention hotline can help. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24 hours a day at 988. During a crisis, people who are hard of hearing, they can also use their preferred relay service or dial 711, then 988. So we just wanted to put this information out there. We'll also provide it in our show notes, but we just want you to know what to do if you're ever faced with a loved one or an individual that is in an immediate crisis situation. For this week's episode, we wanted to dive into the women's stories first because we all know women like Ethel or Chesley, or they may remind us of ourselves, um, very high functioning and also doing a lot. So we also wanted to take this time just to let you guys know what high functioning depression is because there are some misconceptions. The clinical term or diagnosis for high-functioning depression is persistent depressive disorder, PDD, or dysthymia, which is an ongoing form of depression. And PDD, it differs from major depressive disorder. PDD is a more sustained depressive episode, allowing people to maintain their daily routines, within their personal and professional lives. And those around them, they often don't recognize the severity of the problem. And even the term high-functioning depression is a misleading term because it depends on how a person defines it in their attitude towards treatment. For a person to have PPD, they must experience chronic depression for at least two years Additional symptoms of PDD are a lack of interest in daily activities, difficulty with decision-making, and feelings of guilt and worthlessness. And they may experience instances of normal mood that last less than two months. So we wanted to talk about Black women and persistent depressive disorder And I read this really great article from The Griot, so please go to our show notes and you can um, read that information directly, but they had some really great information. And 
licensed mental health therapist, Erica Harper, she noted that Black women are at a particularly high risk of persistent depression because of the need to maintain the appearance of the proud, strong, and unbothered Black woman. And she says, while the hallmark of PDD is that typical symptoms of depression are not present. And this is especially true for Black women. Depression doesn't always appear the way people think it does. High-functioning depression is sneaky, leaving even those who are currently falling within its clutches in denial. Another therapist, she said, the big misconception is one may imagine depression looks like lying in bed with curtains closed and your pajamas with your hair all over your head and, you know, not keeping up with your daily hygiene, barely eating. But for many working class Black folks, we don't got time for that. We have to get to work and keep moving. There are a lot of depressed and anxious folks unconsciously masking their symptoms as high-functioning or productive people. Completely agree with that. In some situations, like you have so many people depending on you, especially as a Black woman. You have your family, your kids, like you got bills to pay, you got groceries to buy, you got meals to put on the table where you don't even have space at all for yourself and you mm-hmm. never really have, but then you throw on top of that, your mental health then starts struggling and not like you didn't have time for yourself physically. You definitely don't have time for yourself mentally. And it's just seen as like, oh, look at her. She's doing it all. She's that's black girl magic right there. And it's like right. that sort of shit. It's so it's so dangerous and it's so frustrating. Yeah. And we've existed in a society and continue to exist in a society where we're not seen, we're not heard. But when we are, it's as though, you know, we're this like precious, magical creature that like we can do it all and we never struggle and we persevere and, you know, we, we do it all on our own. And no, no, like, no, we're not like... Yes, we're magical, but not in that way. We're not invincible. Mm-hmm. We're we're humans and we have issues and challenges and we have mental health struggles and we need to be able to take the time to focus on those uh, every day of our life. Like this is a huge reason why mental health is like a human right and mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to worry about, well, I don't have the funds to pay a therapist. So therefore I can't go to a therapist. And then maybe the fear of letting other people know that you're struggling because you don't know how people might see you and the stigma behind that. So you just keep it all bottled up and you just like keep hustling and you keep pushing through when it's just like, eventually you will burn out. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, it's so ugly and it's a disastrous end and you can't recover from it and you can't come back from it. I like how this one article says is there's simply no room in this world for black women to not be okay. We're so often looked at as superheroes, the ones that are going to come through in the clutch. And we're just constantly just pushing ourselves, just focus, just focus on getting the next thing done. And it's just like, 
the finish line is just getting further and further or just like the analogy of just like treading water. Like I just got to keep my head above water, just got to keep my head above water when, you know, constantly new things are just being added on to you on your plate. It just becomes harder and harder. You just get tired, especially and then add on like a global pandemic. It can be exhausting and Research shows a lot of Black women are being misdiagnosed and not being diagnosed with depression. In December 2022, a paper was published by NYU Rory Myers College of Nursing and Columbia University School of Nursing. It revealed that Black women are less likely to report stereotypical symptoms of depression, such as sadness and hopelessness. Instead, they are noting trouble sleeping, self-criticism, irritability, and an inability to experience pleasure. Based on their findings, it's possible, they said it's possible that healthcare providers are missing these symptoms and it's going underdiagnosed and undertreated. A lot of times, like we were saying, you just you don't have time to be sad. You don't have time to, you know, think about if I don't get this done, what is going to happen? Because there's a lot of times there's no safety net at the bottom and you're just like going and going. And I've seen like this meme where it was like, oh, you know, the ancestors looking at us, you know, complaining about like, say our mental health or just like things that's going on. Like, They compare like, you know, people tell us like, oh, we have it so much better. We have so much better. Like we just need to be grateful. But it's it's hard. It's like hard. It's like this should not be the norm. So sometimes your feelings are dismissed and, you know, put down. It's just like, you know, it's like this is the norm. Like this is how you're supposed to do. Like we just can't be okay. And a lot of times with black women, you know, we're told we have to be the best. We got to go two times as harder. <laughs> and, you know, like you said, we don't often have the privilege to just be mediocre or just sad or things like that. It's like, no, you need to be going. And a lot of times it starts in childhood. How many times were we told as a child, what are you crying for? And like you added, you was like, I'll give you something to cry about. It's like, you don't really have time to sit and process your emotions about how you're feeling. No. And that even makes me think about the multiple videos I've seen of people talking about gentle parenting, Mm -hmm. where for us, I think majority of people in our generation weren't given that. Because again, it's all about like, well, you know, I struggled and I suffered and our ancestors. And it's just like, everyone has their challenges and comparing them is unfair to everyone. It does a disservice to Mm -hmm. everyone. But yes, I can recall like multiple times and then seeing it in other people with their kids of like, if your child is crying, you need to genuinely ask the question, hey, what's going on? Why are you sad? Why are you crying? And then you talk to them 
So you can understand and they can understand and then process and they, then they can learn how to process their emotions because yeah, it was literally basically like, shut up and stop crying. If you, if you can't give me a reason immediately, like right now, why are you crying? And it's like, well, I'll give you a beating and then you have something to cry about. And like, I remember right. thinking like that stays with you. Like I've been able to be like, okay, no, that's bull. Even as an adult, then look back and be like, you clearly experienced that same bull too as a child so you're just passing it on but you're passing on generational trauma of mm-hmm. not allowing our community members just to feel to be mm-hmm. emotional just to be human is is traumatizing it's and it starts so young it starts when you're so young yeah just being told why you're crying why you acting like this and then your parents don't want the answer. They don't want to hear it. They just want you to shut up and just, you know, do what you're told. So you honestly don't have the chance to process your emotions and your feelings. And so many people in my generation, you know, they're, we're doing the work to, you know, heal ourselves, to work on effective communication and just also effectively the way we, um, speak to ourselves because sometimes the way I feel like I be talking to myself is so raggedy and it's like why is this my internal voice like it just be like get it together get it together and it's like you know I'm being my hardest critic like Mm -hmm. and so many times like we're just you know we don't know how to process these emotions so we you know we have to like spend our adulthood like learning these things, learning, you know, some of our triggers and the way we respond to things. It goes all the way back to like our childhood. And a lot of times, like for black women, it's like, don't show your emotions. And then it's like, never let them see you cry. Like crying is associated as like a weakness and things like that. And then into adulthood, Black women continue to face intersectional oppression, and they don't often recognize it as depression. And I like this quote, it says, people living with this disorder won't tend to think that they're suffering because they are usually a little depressed most of the time. In essence, they're so used to suffering that they've normalized it as their usual state of being. And... I just point out from what I said that inability to experience pleasure or sometimes it's like that feeling of always having your guard up, like always got to be prepared for the next thing that's going to happen. You can't even just bask in the good things that are going on because it's like you're just bracing yourself for what is to come next. So it's just like, damn, it's like, you know, good things are going, but you just don't know what's around the corner. It's like, don't let me get too happy. Don't let me get too happy because you just never know what is going to happen. And the article it pointed out, it says, the dangers of Black women believing that perpetual sadness is normal. It robs us of so much. Erica Harper, she says, it's our birthright as women to experience happiness and joy. In addition to refusing to see depression as a way of life, Black women must stop seeing depression as our fault. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she says it's a host of factors, including brain chemistry, genetics, life events at work. So it's, you know, it's not our fault. Like 
people look at you like, oh, it's a weakness, you're crying, you're emotional and things like that. And you, you think that, take that as like a bad thing, but in actuality, it is not. No, it's normal. It makes you completely normal and it it needs to be seen as like, Look at you being brave and existing in this is how you really feel. And you have the courage then to show that to other people because we've literally just been taught that, no, we can't show that to other people. We can't allow them to see us in these weak moments. We can't allow them to see that like we're struggling. It's just like, no, people need to know. And because it happens for all of us and that way then we can then process those moments, but then, and not be robbed of the joyous moments and the happy moments. If we're allowed to like fully process everything, we're like dynamic people, things are going on all the time, but like we need to be able to process the sad stuff to then also then enjoy the happy stuff to really yeah. relish in it and go like, Ooh, this is wonderful. And not be waiting, like you said, for something else to come, not be bracing yourself mm-hmm. for like the other shoe to drop. Cause that's exactly. no way to live. That's not a happy existence. You just like you out here struggling to survive. You're not thriving. You're just you're just like I'm getting to the next day, and and that's it. Yes, yes. She also brings. She provides some tips for Black women specifically, and she says um, we can't always control like factors such as like systemic racism, also like stress major life events, financial strain, but, you know, we do have some tools and power to dictate how we can respond to them. And she says, typically um, people recommend for those with persistent depressive disorder to basically get active, watch their diet and rest, but Black women must take additional steps beyond that. And she says the first step is we have to be willing to be honest and transparent about our pain with those who love and know us the best. And she says, I love this. I'm not okay. Needs to replace. I'm fine. Because too often it is the truth. Like so many people ask, like, how are you? How are you? And you're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And even for me, people ask me, how are you? How are you? And I'm like, I'm tired. Like, that's like the only way I can (laughs) describe it. But replacing it with like, I'm not okay. And just having that honesty to say that it takes a lot. Because that's the default for so many people. That's the default for like mostly everybody is to be like, I'm fine. And like, and you drop it there, you move on. And you can tell too, when someone is honest and open like that to be like, honestly, I'm, I ain't great. This, this is, this has been a struggle. People then they like, you you get a different response from them. You get a different look on their face, but it's hopeful too, that like the more and more people do that, the more normal it becomes. And that just becomes the standard of like, when someone asks you that question, you're honest about it, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to maybe not in every situation. If you know, you're at a store and a cashier is asking you that maybe you wouldn't feel yeah. the best to be like throwing <laughs> it all out there like that. We're not, I'm not really saying that, but in terms of like when your close loved ones are checking in on you and going like, Hey, like you doing your normal check in, whatever it is. Don't do the default of like, I'm fine. Like yeah. be, be comfortable 
And hopefully you have a great relationship with that person to be like, I'm not okay. But like saying I'm fine is like such the default. But I feel like a lot of people, if they were honest to themselves, it would be like, I'm saying that because I'm not really fine. I'm like, I'm existing. Yeah. And that's true. And I would say like that statement, like I'm not okay. And sometimes you can't really express why you're not okay. Like you have a lot of things going on. You're worried about things that are going to happen. And, you know, you could just say, I'm not okay. I'm feeling, everything is feeling overwhelming at that Mm. point. And just, you know, I would like to just vent about it or, you know, um, certain people, you talk to them and, you know, they kind of like blow it in your face or they dismiss it. So just, you know, sometimes you might have to tell people that, I'm not okay. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And it go there. Be like, I really don't need your advice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Other people, if you feel open on expanding and going a little deeper. And if you don't have that person or that support system, Erica, she says it's important that we are willing to seek the help of licensed professionals who will assist us because They can help you with talk therapy. Also, um, if you need medication and just to assist with this journey towards wellness, just being able to have an unbiased person. Yes, you can go and vent like me and you, we can vent to each other, but I may not give you the most therapeutic solutions. (laughs) So you really need somebody that's going to assist you. And, you know, maybe like 80, 80, 20 with the solutions. But sometimes I'm like, you want to pull up on this person? Like, should I send this email? (laughs) Is this email therapeutic? (laughs) yeah it's like it's it that can be helpful but yes other times it's just like oh why did I find somebody that is unbiased because in terms of friendships a lot of times like you're friends with people who are very similar to you so they're gonna probably Mm -hmm. have a similar situation of like if you feel like how you're responding is not the best they might also have not the best response you're like oh this is just why don't we get an outside opinion that can maybe help us a right. little bit better? And it's mm-hmm. not saying that, yeah, like it understanding the value and importance of both. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and also the point too that you mentioned, medication. It's mm-hmm. the stigma. I think people are more willing to accept talk therapy, but when you bring up medication, that's like a whole other can of worms that there's so much stigma behind. And like, why would you need to take something to, and it's just like brain chemistry. Sometimes mm-hmm. the things going on, neurotrans, it's mm-hmm. a chemical imbalance and you need medication to help you balance it out. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing wrong with that. There, exactly. like you are normal, you are okay. Like, and you will even be better potentially getting on medication and life will be better for you. If you are enjoying this episode, you should consider buying us a coffee. Yes, a coffee. That small gesture will help us continue to create quality episodes and content. Click the Buy Me a Coffee link in the show notes or check out our website at distrustanddisparities.com. And this week, we wanted to provide you with some recommendations. We got homework for y'all. And 
we want you to be able to find a therapist and specifically a culturally competent therapist. Therapy for Black Girls and Melanin and Mental Health. Those are two great websites to start at. They have an online directory where you can search for a licensed professional. and They have plenty of free resources to check out. And we also wanted to leave you with some books to check out to add to your reading list. A good one, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself by Nidra Glover Tawab. And I started reading this book and I honestly had to put it down because it was truly reading me. (laughs) Like she has simple but powerful ways to establish healthy boundaries in all aspects of life. And it says we all know we should have them in order to achieve work-life balance, cope with toxic people, and just enjoy rewarding relationships with partners, friends, and family. But what do healthy boundaries really mean and how can we successfully express our needs and also say no and be assertive without offending others? I think that's a this is a really great book just to recognize areas where you may have like a boundary issue that may be leading to, you know, in some incidences you feeling burnt out or just depressed. So I think that's a good book to start with. And then also Sisters of the Yam by Bell Hooks. And Bell Hooks, she reflects on ways in which the emotional health of Black women has been and continues to be impacted by sexism and racism. This book remains relevant to this day. It's definitely a book that you want to add to your list as far as mental health and Black women. And lastly, we wanted to talk about Healing Justice Lineages, Dreaming at the Crossroads of Liberation, Collective Care and Safety by Kara Page and Erica Woodland. And this is a profound offering and a call to action. And it includes collective stories, testimonials for renewing political and spiritual liberation grounded in Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer and trans healing justice. So those are three great books to check out and we'll have them in our show notes, links to those, but we need to check in with ourselves and recognize if we're not okay. And then just take the next step in seeking help, seeing what free resources are out there. If our insurance covers what mental health services, if our job covers those things, and what free services and organizations are out there. We have to take care of ourselves and check in on one another. Share this episode with all the Black women that you know, and just bookmark it for yourself. Because, you know, this was a very eye-opening conversation. I was like reading this and was like, wow. Like you said, checking in with yourself is so important. If you have the capacity to check on others, you know, do that Mm -hmm. and be kinder to yourself and acknowledge that like you're never going to be perfect because that just doesn't exist. That's not a real thing. Mm -hmm. And acknowledge when you need help. 
I hope you have the courage to seek it out when you need it, to reach out to friends, loved ones when you need it. And hopefully these resources can help you in, you know, taking those first steps to getting to a better place with your mental health. Cause it's so important. Like you said, like mental health needs to be discussed all year round. We have the month of May where that's really a focus on it because it is mental health awareness month, but like you need to be focusing on your mental health all year round and just, just be kinder to yourself. I know it's hard. Cause like you said, I struggle too. I'm you're your own worst critic, but be gentle to yourself. And again, we wanted to provide everyone with the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline that is available 24 hours a day. And that number is simply 988. You can call or text to talk to someone. And those who are hard of hearing, they can use their preferred relay service or they can dial 711 and then dial 988. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to suggest a topic we should discuss or share your own personal story, email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Distrust and Disparities and on Twitter at DistrustPod. Thank you.